0: Welcome to Alicia Wood. Uh, she's going to bless your heart. Well, good morning to you all. How many morning people do I have here? Oh, wow. I am not like you at all. So we're going to see how this goes. Um, I am just, how many of you uh, were there yesterday in the main stage? Oh my. Okay. Well, wel- welcome back. Hopefully I didn't bore you too much. Uh, Today's going to be a bit different because what I'm going to do today and tomorrow is I want to actually walk us through certain passages in the Old Testament and show how they connect to the New Testament. And I'll go a little bit uh, more about, talk a little bit more about that tomorrow. But I think one of the things that we oftentimes miss as Christians is we think the New Testament starts at Matthew 1. But it actually does. not the story of Jesus doesn't start there. Yeah, we've put that fragmentation with the New Testament and Old Testament. But the story of Jesus is not beginning in Matthew chapter 1. And when we look at the Old Testament, we will see that the story of Jesus is actually woven throughout. So I want to take a look today at a passage that you'd probably be like, why in the world would we even deal with this passage? But it is the story of the sacrifice of Isaac in Genesis chapter 22. A story that many of us probably want, probably wish was never even in there in the first place. But my goal today is that after we spend just a few minutes looking at this passage, we will feel a bit more confident about what's happening here. We will understand the text better and we will see the connections between what God is saying here and what he's pointing to in the future. And we'll be a little bit less nervous about this whole thing. So I think the best thing is going to be for us to go ahead and read right through this passage together. So if you have your Bibles or your phones or whatever you have, go ahead and bring those out and we're going to go to Genesis chapter 22. If you're there, say, yo, I'm there. If you need more time, say, hold up, hold up. Got you. Genesis chapter 22. And we're going to go ahead and begin reading at verse 1. Here we go. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. I'm going to pause right there. I want to point out a couple things. Number one, from verse one, we see that this is a test. So right from the beginning, we see this is a test that's important to know. God is trying to see something, show us something, show Abraham something from the beginning. Interestingly enough, in verse 2, it says this is a burnt offering. So offer him as a burnt offering. Now, you may or may not know that there's a variety of different offerings within the Old Testament Scripture. Sin and guilt offerings probably being the most popular, that when... Um, you've done something wrong, you offer that particular offering. But a burnt offering could have been something that you offer as a result of sin, but it also is an offering that you do as a sign of devotion. It's a sign of devotion. And it was different than a sin or guilt offering because in this particular offering, the animal was fully consumed in the fire. So a sin or a burnt offering is a sign of one's commitment. Or devotion to God. As well as potentially, depending on the situation, a sin or guilt offering. But here's the other interesting thing. In verse 5, Abram says, Abraham says, we will worship and we will come back to you. Boy, that's interesting. I thought God just told you to sacrifice your son. And you're telling me that we will worship and we will come back to you? How is that going to happen? Hebrews 11 it's helpful here because it tells us in Hebrews 11 that even Abraham reasoned that God might raise or Isaac from the dead. Did he think that's what was going to happen? Hebrews seems to indicate that. Either way, Abraham says, we are going to come back. So he kind of feels like something is going to happen here. Okay, and he's willing to see what God does here, but he's willing to be obedient. Let's keep going in verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it it on his son, Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Let's finish up the last few verses here. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said... On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now you may notice as I read this story, some of you have been in church long enough or been in Christian circles long enough that you know that there's some parallels between this particular story and Jesus. So you may have heard some of these before. For those of you who don't, let me make some of the parallels for you. We see Isaac and we see Jesus. We know they are both promised sons. Their parents were told before they were born that they were coming. We know that they also had some interesting situations, miraculous divine intervention happen in order for their births to even happen. Sarah was very old when she had Isaac, and obviously Mary was a virgin with Jesus. So we have these miraculous divine intervention births for pregnancy. We also know that they both carried their own wood to their death or, or potential death. Isaac carried the wood. A- Jesus carried his cross. So we already see that there's parallels between these two things right from the text itself. But you're still probably wondering, Alicia, this is not helping me feel any better. And I get it. I, I'm an apologist, which means I deal with difficult, uncomfortable passages in and, and the Bible and, and these questions we have about God that we can't seem to figure out. So I get that maybe it's not all solved yet. But hang with me because I think there's an important point that we need to focus on here. And that is this, our very first reason, our very first lesson to learn out of this story is that God asking Abram to give a burnt offering as a sign of devotion is telling Abraham, you will not just say you love me in words, but you also must show your love for me in action. You are not just to say, oh, I love you, God. I serve you, God. All of these things, your actions must mirror it. And it's interesting because Jesus tells us in the New Testament to love. When he's asked what the greatest commandments are, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he uses this word love, which is interesting because you may or may not have realized, but we are completely confused as to what love is in our culture today. We don't even know what it is. And I blame Disney a bit for that. If you ever notice, and I'm a Disney fan. So please, I will sing the Lion King songs, Little Mermaid songs with the best of them. Okay, but you notice you got these two people and they um, are always perfect and they meet each other and they get married and the movie stops. It never shows day two. And there's a whole lot of married people in here that would have wished that they'd shown day two. When they're already irritating each other, nipping at each other, this one did this, this one irritated this one. I mean, it goes on and on. But so we have this false idea that love is just feelings and emotions, and it's this perfect person. We don't understand that love means you work through things. And so 1 Corinthians 13, because, you know, God knew that we would be confused about love, so he made sure he put a whole chapter on it in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 13 essentially then tells us many things about love. It says love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong, it doesn't fail. In other words, did you notice that in order to do love, all of these things, patience, kindness, envy, boasting, proud, dishonor, have to all do with your relationship with somebody else? In other words, guys, love isn't just about you. We think about it as some feeling. This is saying love is patient with someone else, kind with someone else, keeping no record of wrongs with someone else. It is action displayed, not just emotion experienced. In other words, when the Bible talks to us about love, it talks to us about love In action. And so the first thing that we are learning from this text is that love must be in action and not just in words. Keep in mind, friends, that God holds Himself to that same standard. And he isn't just a God who says, I love humanity. He is a God who will show his love through actions on the cross. The very thing he asks of Abraham, he asks. Of himself. The very thing he asks of us, show your love in your actions. He asks of himself. It is in Christianity that we have a God who isn't just loving by word, by words, or because we say he is, or because we're taught he is. We have a God who shows love in the greatest possible way through self sacrifice. He demonstrates it. And he's showing us here that that is what is important for us as well. But Let's keep reading. Let's go back to verse 13 for a second. Actually, excuse me, verse 7. It says, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answers, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Skip ahead to verse 13. After after the angel stops Abraham from sacrificing him, it says that Abraham, in verse 13, looks up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Hold on a second. I hear people say to me all the time, your Bible's full of contradictions. Here's one. Did you catch it? Abraham said God will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. What did he sacrifice? A ram. Those are two different things. A lamb is a baby, male or female, and a ram is only an adult male. Did the Bible get this wrong? Is this a contradiction? No, it's not. The Bible didn't mess up because this is still a story pointing to something more. So hang with me. When Abram says God will provide the lamb for the sacrifice, when we fast forward a few thousand years, a baby is born. And years before this birth, the prophet Isaiah said that this baby would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. This baby's father is told that Jesus will save his people from their sins. And his young mother is told that he will be a king, the son of God. But the biblical author John lays it out very clearly. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And now we get to put the whole story together here, guys. Abraham was right. This is not a Bible contradiction. This is not a point of error. God indeed would provide the lamb for the sacrifice, but it was not going to be Isaac. So reason number two or lesson number two. God would provide a substitution God would provide something else in this particular situation, a ram, for the sacrifice. Isaac was never sacrificed. God substituted a ram in his place. For all of us who deserve the penalty for what we've done wrong being death, God provided a substitution in Jesus to be the one to sacrifice and die for us. He shows us, even in this story, the sacrifice is not going to be Isaac, but I'm going to provide somebody else. And thousands of years later, God would not save the sacrifice by putting in a ram instead. But he allowed Jesus, who said, I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And what's interesting is that Abraham Abraham concludes concludes this section on verse 14. It says, Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. That's in the future. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. You may or may not know this, but the Jews took that verse seriously. And when it came time to build a A physical temple structure, they built it on the site of what they believed the sacrifice happened. And if you understand anything about the temple, this idea that when you went into this temple and into the special inner room was where the presence of God was. And the priest would have to come in there and offer blood from animals to, to atone or make up for to cover the sins of the people. God did provide. And the links between this and Jesus cannot be missed. Finally, I want to make one third point that we can learn, one third, one more lesson that we can learn from this story. I was in Hawaii several years back speaking on, I don't even remember the topic anymore. Maybe why do I need God or, or evil? I think it was a problem of evil. And at the end of the session, It was an open Q&A, and a gentleman stood up, and this was several years ago, so this was much more the news story than it is now, but this particular gentleman said, what would Jesus say to ISIS? In front of everybody, don't you all wish you had my job? Doesn't that make you want to be an apologist? Never had I thought about that question. Never had I engaged with that question. But he said, what would Jesus say to Isis? And he sat down. And I've had to spend some time thinking about that question. And as I've thought about it, I don't know exactly what Jesus would say. I don't have any way of knowing what Jesus would say. But here's one possibility. I wonder if Jesus would say, you are sacrificing your lives for a God who will never sacrifice his life for you in islam allah would never come down here he would never defile himself with the things here on earth and he most definitely would never die for humanity that's blasphemous in fact there is not even a guarantee within islam that when you go to paradise their heaven that allah will even be there there's no guarantee that you'll even be close to him in paradise. So, this idea that he would come down here and die, never. He would never belittle himself to that kind of level. And then we have a God in Christianity that says, I've come to do this. But yet, they sacrifice themselves. And they sacrifice other people for God who will never show love for them in that way. I think this story is also telling us, friends, that the sacrifice of another, in this case, Abraham sacrificing Isaac, the sacrifice of another is never the way to show your love to God. You want to show your love through self-sacrifice? It is through your own sacrifices. But we never sacrifice the life of another to show our love for God. Christianity does not demand that. Other belief systems, it's part of their thing. But it doesn't. God is letting us know. In this culture where there was so much infanticide and, and, and child sacrificing, nobody really would have batted an eye at this in that culture. God is making something very clear. There's a new standard here. No more of this sacrificing other people to show your devotion and your commitment to me. So three things, guys, we take away and we learn from this story. Number one, our love and our commitment to God is not just going to be in words, but it has to be in actions as well. Number two, we also want to realize and make sure That we recognize that this is a substitutionary death. Somebody else is dying in place of Isaac, just like Jesus was substitutionary for us. And the third thing is if you want to show love for God, you do not do it through the sacrifice of somebody else. So the question is, what is it that God would ask us to sacrifice He's not asking us to sacrifice children. This is not a promotion of infanticide like I hear people say. But are there things in our lives that he wants us to sacrifice? Brennan Manning, uh, who was a former pastor and theologian, passed away several years ago now, once said that the greatest single cause of atheism today are Christians. Who acknowledge these with their lips and then walk out the door and, and deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. How are we showing our love and our commitment to God? Is he asking us to sacrifice our desires for being selfish and actually be more generous? Is he asking us to sacrifice our obsession with maybe uh, fame or trying to get a name on social media? As if that affirms us and that gives us value? Does he want us to be more forgiving? Does he want us to extend grace in a way to people that we never have before, maybe never have considered before? This story is not one that we need to be scared of. When we read the Old Testament in its proper context, We understand that, guys, so much stuff, and I'll go through another passage tomorrow doing the same thing. We're going to look at Isaiah 9, talking about how this is pointing to something in the New Testament. But we have to understand it in the proper culture and context. We cannot read the Bible with 2022 eyes. It will not make sense. It was not written for this time. It was not written in this time. It was written for this time, excuse me, but it was not written in this time. And so we see here. God's shifting things, beginning to shift mentalities, beginning to help people realize who he is, that while you have all these other gods around, that you're sacrificing children and animals, all these things too, let me tell you what happens in my system. And we can ask ourselves, what does he then have to say to us? So don't be scared of this story. It's actually, I love speaking on this story, actually. I I think it has so much incredible things to say. And I think it's helpful for us today. Sound good? Are we still nervous about this? I heard one no, so that's good. I would say one thing. I've been an apologist now for almost nine years. In August, it'll be nine years. Nine years of traveling um, mostly U.S., but also international. And I hear so many people say things to me. Reasons why they don't believe in God, reasons why they struggle. And I would say there's a large percentage of things and it's because, that people have issues with, and it's because they don't understand the context. They don't understand the story. I would strongly encourage us all, when it comes to the Old Testament, we have to spend some time in it. You cannot just read it face value and think you know what it's saying, especially when so much of it is pointing towards the new. We want to make sure we dig in and understand more. But let's ask God, what is it? How is it that he wants us to show our love for him, our devotion to him today and even when we leave here? Thanks, guys.